You are freer than you think. It's like the ultimate form of freedom. You expound upon that freedom to develop on this planet. True freedom comes from within. It's the ability. Thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you. Man is a two-time felon. I work really hard and I've been a, I've been a life learner. When things are feeling tough, let yourself be surprised. The world favors risk-taking. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Freedom Pact. Today on the show, I'm joined by Dr. Rena Malik, medical doctor, urologist, pelvic surgeon, and dare I say, a social media star. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I uh, we asked our Instagram audience yesterday for some questions, and uh, some of them were uh, really interesting. So I'm going to ask a question I've never started a conversation in this way. Um, <laughs> I'd, like to, <laughs> I'd like to um, start this conversation about men's penises, a place yeah. where all, all great conversations start. <laughs> yep, let's do it. Uh, I was looking through the research and there's a paper published in the International Journal of Impotence Research uh, stating that erectile dysfunction in men will increase to 322 million worldwide by 20, by 2025. In population terms, that's about a 5% increase in erectile dysfunction since 1999, 1995. So what is causing so many men's penises to fail? Well, you know, it's a lot of things, but I will say probably the biggest one is there's an increase in obesity and heart disease, which means that you're having conditions like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes more commonly, and those are reducing blood flow to the penis and causing more erectile dysfunction. So I tell people, you know, stop searching for supplements, start looking at yourself and see what you're eating and what you're doing for exercise, because that's going to be the number one thing to keep your sexual function intact. Right. So by losing weight, by living a healthier lifestyle, getting more sleep, maybe more morning sunlight, reducing stress levels, that will lead to less erectile dysfunction. Yeah, and those are all part of it, right? Getting good sleep is going to mean you're going to be in a better state of mind and you're getting good circadian rhythm, because which is getting good sunlight in the morning is going to mean you get better sleep. And all those things play a role in your day-to-day -day functioning, right? So those are things that people, I think, I'm glad you mentioned them, that people don't really focus on as, as big, important things, but I think they're super valuable. What about in terms of uh, diet? Uh, are there specific things to avoid in terms of this specifically? Yeah. So sugar and flour, right? Like those sorts of things. If you look at all the diets that are out there that are, uh, you know, there's keto, there's paleo, there's whatever, right? There's right. like a hundred different diets, but the key thing that all the diets have in common is reduce your sugar and increase your fiber and reduce your flour intake, like your processed and your flour intake. So that doesn't mean that you can't have grains or other things, but in, you know, white flour, sugar, anything that looks like a mound of white when it's on, like, you know, like sugar and flour, avoid those things. Amazing. Amazing. Um, I'm going to go to my grave. I feel on this show talking about this. What, if any role do you think that pornography has in this? 
Yeah, so it's a bit it's a big role. Certainly, I think more and more of this younger generation is getting access to porn very easily, right? And I think back even when I was younger and my uh, you know, my male friends and my partner and everything, you know, it was it was a little bit more difficult to access porn, right? You had to get a videotape and find a, a place to play it where there was no adult around. And so it was really much more difficult to access it. And now it's at the touch of a button. So I think one, um, and it does, if you look at data, it actually changes the way your mind kind of perceives, uh, you know, it's it's the same sort of dopamine cycle in your brain as for some people that lights up when you have addictions, right? And so you get addicted to seeing pornography and then that, you know, stimulates you, but then as you watch more and more, you need more aggressive pornography or more amounts of it to get that same level of dopamine rush. And that can create problems in your general sexual life, right? You won't find a regular person or regular sex, which is very different than pornography, right? Pornography is completely edited and altered. If, if your audience doesn't know, I mean, there's not that amount of semen coming out. There's not that um, quick amount of, uh, you know, less lack of foreplay, like all those things are incre- incredibly vital in having a good sex life. So I think um, when you watch porn and think that that's what it's like, especially for young kids, they then take that to their first sexual encounter and that's not great. And then they're like, why am I not performing? What's wrong with me? And it's really because their expectations are wrong and that's not how normal sex or physiology works. Yeah. And it's interesting because I also feel like, because as you mentioned, uh, internet pornography is such a recent phenomenon that I don't feel like the research is my opinion on this anyway, has fully caught up to it because for one, it's very difficult to get ethical approval to to study this Um, in terms of, as you mentioned, you know, the, the neurons are fired together, white together, changes in the brain happen over time, happen over many years. It's difficult to keep someone in, in a lab for, for, for 10 years. So right. I wonder, do you think that perhaps the research will show that this is perhaps more of a factor in due time? You know, there is a little bit of research, but like, you know, they've watched, uh, they can't watch young kids, right? But they've watched like adults watching pornography and how their brain lights up and things like that. So, uh, you know, I think that the research is limited, as you mentioned. So research may not catch up entirely, but what we know already is pretty damning. And I don't think there needs to be a lot more. I mean, I think there needs to be more research in the sense that like, should this be censored in some way? Should there be limited access? Should there be, you know, some sort of control on these sorts of things? But I doubt in this day and age that there is going to be any of that. Um, But we'll see. Yeah, I was going through your content. And when I was uh, preparing for this, I was reading. This is completely anecdotal evidence, as we're saying, but interesting to to consider uh, people's giving accounts on your brain on porn. Uh, this site for um, self-diagnosed porn addicts. And some people on there, and I'd be interested to know what your thoughts are on this, some people on there saying that after, say, 30 or a 90-day period of not watching any porn, that not only did their erectile dysfunction uh, reverse and, you know, come back, people were saying on there, it feels like I'm levitating, I can suddenly see colours again, I feel happier, I feel more motivated, 
What, what are you kind of thoughts on, on that? Yeah, I mean, I think it makes a big difference. So in my patients who do tell me that they're having problems when they stop, a lot of those problems get better, right? So, you know, I'm going to tell them, you came to me for a medical diagnosis, but you need to work on your brain, right? You need to work on those things because I'm not going to be able to fix your brain. I can only fix a little bit of the physiology, right? And it's really a Band-Aid. It's not a fix. So... I think, uh, I think absolutely. I mean, you know, everyone's, I think part of it is that you're just realizing that you have all this more time to do something else, right? Like, and find something else that brings you joy and increases your dopamine in a natural, healthy way. And I think finding that because you have to, right, you have to replace it with something else. Otherwise you'll get depressed or have other consequences. So I think that that is actually probably where people are feeling so wonderful, right? Um, and then when they actually have really wonderful relations with their partner, that's another reason they're like, wow, this is something I've been missing out on. Right, And that's one of the main things that people say. They say, you know, whilst my partner's been at work, I've been watching internet pornography for hours and suddenly I've stopped them. I find them attractive again. I, I suddenly start enjoying the smell of them and it's kind of a positive feedback cycle because then you start having sex with real people and find out, you know, this is probably how, how we should be doing things. Right, absolutely. Um, I'd love to kind of ask you, if someone listening to this now is battling a porn addiction, what would be your advice to them to beat that? Yeah, so I think there's a lot of different things available to you. I think, um, you know, one is you can you can get some kind of blockers. Those are some, somewhat helpful, not amazing, but if you're like nervous about bringing it up to someone or going to seek help, that's a good first step. Um, but, you know, you got to kind of like, if you're trying to lose weight, you get rid of all the junk food in the house, right? It's kind of just like that. If you're trying to get rid of an addiction to something, you have to get rid of the thing that's causing the addiction. And and um, I like this example and I can't remember who gave it, but it's like when you pickle a cucumber, you can't unpickle it, right? You can't go backwards. And so it's like your brain, when it's addicted to porn, you can't go backwards and say, I'm just going to watch a little bit, you know, like, I'm just going to watch a little bit here and there. You got to kind of commit to that. And then, um, you know, I think it, it does require some real psychological intervention. And there's lots of different things that people do, cognitive behavioral therapy, sensate focus therapy, and, and other things that, um, that are available to help people who are struggling. Um, but I think the first step is really trying to limit your access to it. And if someone comes to you and they say, I may or may not have a problem with this, because I'm not sure if you even can get diagnosed with a porn addiction. I'm not sure if it's in the DSM-5. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm not up to date. But if someone comes to you, how would you assess whether that is pornography is a problem for them or not? So I think, you know, I, I generally think, you know, people, when they've already made the decision to come to their doctor, they're pretty open to like talk about things for the most part. And I think I just generally ask them like, you know, tell me about what you do for sexual stimulation, like masturbation, pornography, and then, you know, how often are you doing that? What, you know, what sort of um, time commitment, you know, and people are using it recreationally here and there. It's usually not a problem, but if they're watching a lot of it and they're finding it difficult, like, oh, I can masturbate fine and have an erection and orgasm and ejaculate just fine with my partner, I'm having trouble. Well, there's a sign, right? So, um, so that's really where I kind of try to figure those things out. Amazing. Um, so we kind of like talked about just a little bit earlier, you know, these guys that abstain from pornography and they, you know, they say I can levitate or, you know, I can run through walls. What are your thoughts on uh, no fab or no nut? 
as a, you know, to use the, t- the layman's terms. Well, so that's very distinct, right? Like limiting pornography, I think is very important. No fap, I think can be pretty damaging um, because if you're trying to force yourself not to ejaculate or not to masturbate, um, for some people that can be extremely uncomfortable, that can create its own psychological damages, right? So I think if you can avoid pornography, That's great. I think that's a really positive thing. But I think on the converse, people take it. I mean, no, I think they're actually distinct things. No, not no fat. But I I would say semen retention has a lot of myths around it. And I think that if you find that it gives you some feeling of greatness to do that, I mean, fine. But I don't think you should torture yourself because there's no scientific evidence that it's going to improve your testosterone or do any of these things that people claim online that semen retention offers. Right. And that's interesting because we've interviewed, you know, for instance, professional boxers on the show. A mm-hmm. number of them have said, you know, before fights, I'll go 12 weeks without ejaculating. Is that necessarily not a good a good thing to do? Look, if they're if they're not having if if they feel like it's not affecting their quality of life, it's not going to hurt you. Your body will just reabsorb the semen. It's not a big deal. But if you are doing it and you're like struggling and you're miserable and it's affecting other parts of your life because you're so focused on it and you can't really like do other things, but you're like committed to I have to do this, like that could cause other problems. No good. No good. I want to ask you a question. I Never thought I would ever ask anyone in my life. (laughs) Is it scientifically possible to increase the length of a penis? So scientifically, uh, yes, there are ways that have been studied um, and there are surgical and non-surgical ways, but I think there's a lot of like myths around this, right? So like if you take supplements, it's not going to increase the length of your penis. If you... um, you know, do things like jelking, those things can be very harmful, which are kind of manually trying to increase the length. Um, So you have to do it thoughtfully if you really, you know, and I think ultimately the more important thing is what's the average size of a penis, right? It's about five inches, a little over five inches. So, um, you know, if you have an average size penis or along the, the bell curve, you know, that's great. You don't need to increase the length of your penis. In fact, there's much more, you know, I think there's many more ways to pleasure a woman than using your penis, right? Because for a woman, the clitoris is analogous to the glands and that's in heterosexual relationships, of course. Um, But, you know, I think that uh, that that's really important for people to focus in on like the penis is not the sole delivery of pleasure. And then as far as things that are available, traction devices have been shown to show um, some d- increase in length, but it requires kind of a dedicated several hours a day of traction and um you know, it can cause bruising and other things. And the surgical options, there's no um, FDA approved or like indication unless you have micropenis to actually go forward with any of these surger- surgeries. And then there are things that people market that are not really um, cleared yet, like certain types of injectables are, are are definitely not cleared yet. And some could be harmful, right? Like there are people who go to Mexico and try to inject things in their penis and they come back and it's a real problem. Um, and they end up with like deformed formed penises. So I would say, you know, I think that really, I don't want to focus on um, like 
these things are there. Certainly they're indicated, you know, in general for, for, um, micro penis, there is one that has been FDA approved for lengthening called Panuma, a Panuma implant. Um, and then, like I said, there's traction devices. I think that if you're really interested, it's important to see people who offer those things and, and talk about it, the risks and benefits, because everything has risks and benefits and, and to what end, right? Um, I think we as a society focus way too much on penile length and we should be focusing on pleasure, right? Like how do we get pleasure for, for both partners in a relationship? I, I love that. So hearing what you just said, there, it sounds like perhaps there's treatments out there that may, may not be effective. It kind of sounds a little bit mixed, if that's what I'm hearing. Yeah, exactly. I think that really like I, a lot of guys say, well, women get breast implants. Why can't we have things for our penis? And I agree. Like, I wish there were safe, effective options, you know, um, but I think a lot of people who want to increase penile length to the point where they're willing to go there have some body dysmorphia and probably need to like, they may not even be happy after they go ahead with the procedure to lengthen their penis. Right. Um, so I think those are things to really consider. Like, are you are you just really fixated on this thing? And will you truly be happy after, after you, if you were to go forward with something that's experimental that may or may not help? Right. And uh, you mentioned uh, penile length perhaps being less important than, um, you know, perhaps as a society, we, we make it out. It was interesting because I, I actually interviewed uh, one of the, the most famous porn stars of, of all time, Kendra Lust on the show. And I asked her this, this exact question and she was kind of a little bit, torn about it so i'd love to ask you does size matter look i think that um it it shouldn't matter. It doesn't really matter. Some women do get satisfaction from penetration of, uh, you know, deeper penetration. And it's, and it's because if you look at the, uh, so if you think about anatomy, right, mm -hmm. the, the erectile tissue of the clitoris um, kind of goes back and then divides out. So, you know, stimulation in different parts of the vagina can cause stimulation there. There's also the skein's gland, which is like the G spot, right? Or the G zone is what they call it now. Um, and that's just an area which is similar to the male prostate. So just like some guys enjoy, um, you know, prostate play, some women can enjoy that. And so I think, you know, it's, it's, it's so individualized to the person, but like, if you can't offer it, like, with your penis and, you know, but I really think most women need clitoral stimulation. So that's the key. And that doesn't require a long penis, right. Or a girthy penis or anything like that. Um, if, you know, women do like, you know, enjoy uh, penetration. Most women enjoy it, right. Or need both penetration and clitoral stimulation. And as you like, 99% of men can offer that, right? Like with any size penis. Um, but if, you know, there's always toys, right? There's like plenty of, uh, fortunately we live in a very sex positive society for the most part, I think like there's so much available to, to add to the mix and make it more enjoyable. You mentioned the G spot uh, in women. This would be a question that actually was, was asked us. A number of people asked us, is this a real thing? And how do I find it if so? 
Yeah. So the G spot or the G zone is essentially, um, if you look at anatomy, so when you look at anatomy of men and women, when we're embryos, we're identical. And then we diverge into different structures, but they're all embryologically the same tissue. So like the clitoris is like the head of the penis. And then the, you know, and then you, the erectile bodies are very similar anatomically. Uh, and then the G spot is like the male prostate, which is actually the skein's gland. And so the skein's gland has a bunch of nerves there that can be pleasurable. And so typically it's on the top side of the vagina or the anterior vaginal wall, about two to three centimeters in. And so stimulating that with your finger or your penis, whatever, um, your sex toy can be pleasurable for some women. But that doesn't mean everyone, you know, everyone enjoys it. Or just like every man doesn't enjoy prostate play, every woman may not find that necessarily like amazing. Very good. I, I, I really, really uh, appreciate you, you sharing all this with us. I'd like to just ask you a couple more questions just about the male anatomy before we I perhaps broaden it um, more out. For people um, listening, you kind of talked a little bit earlier about um, ejaculation. Sometimes perhaps you can condition yourself to be more attracted to pornography than with a partner and it might take you a lot longer to, to orgasm with a partner if you went the other way and you talked about premature ejaculation is mm -hmm. that something that people can change can they train themselves to last longer yeah, absolutely. So premature ejection is very, very common, right? And I think it's underreported. We say maybe like 15%. I think it's probably more common than that. And, and that depends on how you define premature ejaculation. Um, I think the definition has been variable less than a minute, less than three minutes. Um, but I, I ascribe to the definition that it's earlier than you or your partner feels like uh, it would, it should be, and it is causing distress, right? And so um, in those cases, there are things that you can do, and the reasons for it are multifactorial. They're kind of neurologic, and, and, and you know have some neurologic components and some neurotransmitter components, which is why it happens. So it's not something that like um, necessarily you've caused, right? You haven't done it. It's nothing, nothing that you've done wrong. Um, and so basically, there's a couple ways. So non, you know, you can non-medical or non-pharmacological ways would be like doing the stop-start technique or edging, kind of. So you get to the point of um, ejaculation, and your partner squeezes the phallus, and then that kind of you know, stops, you know, the stimulation from occurring. And then you, you restart, you do that three times and on the fourth time you ejaculate. So you kind of work and you need a partner that's with you on that. And you can do it yourself too, right. When you're, um, when you're masturbating, but, uh, so that's one way. And then other ways are using, uh, sort of a numbing, sensitizing, uh, reducing the sensitivity of the glands using numbing creams. So there's MLA creams, which we can prescribe as doctors. You can get delay sprays over the counter um, and those work pretty well. And then everything else is pretty much off label, at least in the United States. Um, there is in the, you, I think it's in the, I can't remember where in the, in Europe it is, but there is something on label in Europe, but in, in the U S um, it's off label, multiple different antidepressants. And then if those don't work, um, there are, you know, some off-label medications that we use for an enlarged prostate or even things like um, tramadol, which are used for pain that have been studied and can be used. Again, they're off-label. So um, that does make it a little bit challenging, but there are treatments available. I'd be really interested, uh, just to clarify one thing that was really interesting. You mentioned the kind of 
neurological perhaps causes of it. Could you just go a little bit deeper on perhaps what actually causes it? Yeah. So generally speaking, when you think about ejaculation, uh, you see some sort of stimulation. It causes your brain sends signals to the spinal cord where the ejaculatory center is. And then this causes ejaculation and some, and also stimulation. So it can be from visual or it can be from the glands penis itself um, is where kind of some of the stimulation causes more uh, firing to that area. So, so that's one. And then also having um, levels of, of serotonin, higher levels of serotonin. So that's why certain antidepressants, which reduce the amount of serotonin, um, can help with antidepressants, can help with um, premature ejaculation. So if you've got more serotonin, you last longer in bed. So, um, so when you're uh, when you're thinking about essentially why this happens, what happens is that either there's one of two things: either this there's receptors in the brain, the serotonin receptors are blocked, which typically inhibit ejaculation. So um, that can can cause you to have more. Um, a quicker ejaculation. So having more serotonin around can hopefully a- attach to those, a- those receptors and then cause um, you to last longer in bed. That's, that's absolutely fascinating. And do Kegels work? Yeah. So Kegel exercises essentially can help um, basically, the way they work is by strengthening the pelvic floor musculature, and really that's to help with the stop-start, right? To help with the edging sort of thing. Um, and so they can help. I do kind of caution everyone. A lot of people overdo Kegels, and men I think are very um, underdiagnosed with this problem. Like women, we can do a quick pelvic exam and understand if their Kegel muscles are are over like overworked. Whereas for men, it's a little bit more challenging, um, and it requires a rectal exam, and not every doctor feels comfortable doing those things. So um, if you're having like pelvic pain or other issues, you're starting to have trouble with um, erections, you're starting to have trouble with going to the bathroom more often, like urgency frequency or constipation, hold off on the Kegels. They may actually be causing a little bit of extra tone in the pelvic floor, which can then cause all these problems. Amazing. Amazing. I've got just one more question left for you today before I ask you to sign off and tell these guys with and connect with you and all the great content you're put, uh, putting out there. If there are couples listening to this now, or perhaps you know individuals seeing other people, what would be your best advice for people to have better sex? Talk to your partner, right? Like actually talk to them, find out what they like. And it doesn't always have to be in the bedroom, right? Like it doesn't have to be in the moment because that puts a lot of pressure on you or your partner, but like be like, Hey babe, I really like it when you do X, Y, Z. What do you like when I, what I do, right? Or what really turns you on? Like ask these questions and incorporate them into the bedroom because every person is different and what you're first partner liked versus your second partner versus your third partner, whatever, they're all going to be different. And so it's really important to communicate and find out and be like, what time of day do you like to do it? What, you know, what's like, what's the ideal scenario? Like just finding out those things can really just make it much more enjoyable for you and your partner. I love it. This has been so valuable and so enjoyable. Where can these guys connect with you and, and all the great stuff you're doing? Yeah, so you can find my videos on YouTube, Rena Malik MD. If you want to connect, check me out on Instagram. Um, I make content there as well as TikTok and Twitter. Um, so find me anywhere, Rena Malik MD, and I'm looking forward to connecting with everybody.
And for everybody listening or watching this, they can just swipe up and everything will be linked below. Rina, thank you so, so much for coming on, Joe. You're very welcome.